0: Welcome to the Wing Life podcast, where we talk about wing foiling and the lifestyles of those who enjoy this great sport. And we're live, Yoast. Thanks for joining us tonight. Hi, Luke. Hello, Tom. Hey,
1: Yoast. Thanks you- for joining us. How's your day been?
2: Ah, Pretty good, Uh, mostly preparing for this. Uh, It's been a little bit slow in the shop for the last little bit so it's been nice because I've got a few uh, things to show here and uh, I've actually had time to prepare for it so
0: good day. I hear you're the man that repairs anything, kite, wing?
2: Uh, As well as uh, dry suits. We also fix dry suits for surface sports. Uh, Being on Vancouver Island here uh, we don't have a season that we don't go in the water so uh, we also use our dry suits uh, for the cold part of the year and we keep those in, uh, in tip-top shape for our customers as well oh nice. that's
1: cool but
0: yes yeah, so we maybe also use we'll kites st- and wings <laughs> maybe else we'll start with a bit of an introduction
2: um of Comox kite repair uh yes yeah, so um I work uh, and own Comox kite repair here I'm the uh, main technician at this time Uh, My wife and I run this business together. Uh, I purchased this business from Greg Knowles uh, almost two years ago at this point, and uh, I've worked in uh, many different uh, trades before, and I understand what it means to learn a trade. And when I decided to work for Greg, I approached him and asked him if he's looking for an apprentice. Um, the things that we do here is not something you can teach somebody in a week or two and then take over. So uh, I was very lucky. I actually worked for Greg for almost two years before I took the business over. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I've been running Comox Kite Repair now, uh, like say for a little over a year and a half, almost two years now, uh, out of the basement of my own home here. Um, I did a big renovation in the, the basement here to, uh, to put the shop in. Um, so I've got 1,100 square feet of space down downstairs here. I can inflate uh, up to 17 meter kites inside and leave them inflated overnight, and then I've also got the outside yard as wow. well for uh, putting in bladders and, and spreading out uh, big wings and kites. Wow!
0: People still Very use cool. 17 meters?
2: <laughs> uh, people in Ontario <laughs> do apparently. <laughs> oh. oh, oh. Oh, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, th- those should have gone away with the fact that hydrofoils came out, but I guess they haven't yet.
2: Well, I'm not a hydrofoiler myself, so um, that's an interesting point. Uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you, the efficiency of the hydrofoil and the lack of drag are, are completely changing uh, you know, the, the sport entirely. But uh, there are those guys who still want to ride a twin tip or a surfboard. And if you're a big guy, then uh, sometimes those bigger, uh, the bigger gear works out for them. Absolutely. Yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah, they are. They're, they're, they are good kites. Um, what have you
2: seen or I guess what are you working on this week? Uh, well, things are getting a little bit slow in the shop here, which is kind of nice. Um, we work pretty hard throughout the summer. Uh, I work about 10 hour days, six days a week um, and often have up to a month waiting list here uh, to get work done. So the nice thing about this time of year is uh, we catch up on those things. And um, right now I'm basically I've got a couple customer jobs on the go. Um, I've got a strike wing on the table here behind me for a canopy repair. Uh, it has an eight-inch tear from the uh, foil that went through it, which is pretty common. And mm-hmm. uh, But mainly, I'm working on uh, warranty repairs right now. So uh, I do work closely with Ocean Rodeo. You can see it's on the shirt here. Um, but the reason for that is uh, we're on the same uh, island as Ocean Rodeo. Uh, they're down in Victoria, and we're halfway up the island here in Comox-Courtney area. Um, I was a windsurfer in Victoria years ago, and so the designer Ross for Ocean Rodeo and Richard are people I used to sail with at Cook Street in Victoria in the 90s. So we have a personal relationship with them and work quite closely with them. Um, I get all of their warranty return kites and wings, and so I've got about uh, 40 different kites and wings right now that I'm fixing up to uh, get into condition to be able to resell.
1: Wow. Oh, nice. that's really cool that that's their policy to um, instead of scrapping the stuff that's under warranty to get you to fix it and then resell it. That's a really nice thing that they do.
2: Well, it's really good for a couple of reasons. Um, The majority of the materials in kiteboarding are not recyclable. So uh, unless you Mm. see somebody making uh, grocery bags and and wallets and things like that out of kite material, uh, a lot of it just ends up in the landfill. So to be able to keep it out of the landfill and then get a few more years of service out of it makes a big difference
1: absolutely i mean i I worked in the wind industry for quite a while and it's it's pretty sad to see how much stuff goes on warranty that you know it should be covered on warranty because it's a manufacturing defect and it's not cool for a client to pay full retail price and then get something subpar but at the same time like that doesn't mean that that needs to go into a landfill or that it's not repairable so and don't get me wrong
2: i mean there are things that are not worth repairing and you walk away from and you know you cut your losses but uh There's a lot of stuff exactly in that that scenario where the the customer uh, expected something a little better and then the company looks after them and then what do you do with the leftovers? So uh, like I say, I'm very lucky and fortunate to be the first choice of Ocean Rodeo to pick up this equipment to be able to sell it. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, not everything is worth fixing and selling either. Um, Some of these big uh, Alula repairs on some of these 17, uh, sorry, 17 meter kites, by the time you replace the bladder and are fixing some of these, uh, these are large tears, you know, 30 inches long on Alula in the leading edge. Um, they're quite costly to repair. So Some of these repairs can add up to about 600 bucks by the time you get it uh, up to flyable condition again. Wow. So there, there's an economic factor uh, in there, you know, whether it's worth it or not, uh, how For many sure. hours has the canopy seen? Is it worth putting back into circulation? Is it worth spending 600 bucks on the fix? So
1: mm-hmm, totally. So you're before we, I think we dive into the whole alula stuff, because I'm really excited to hear what you have to say about that. Um, I'm kind of curious, what kind of repairs do you do most often? You said that you've seen a lot of uh, foils through canopy repairs, um, but what, what yeah. else do you see?
2: Uh, so uh, canopy uh, repairs um, is something we see a lot of. Um, if it's a really large tear, it, it generally comes into the shop. Um, the nice thing about small canopy repairs, which are the, the most common issue, uh, a lot of people can deal with that themselves at home with, with tape and keeping an eye on the on the tear and ensuring that the tape isn't moving so those don't always come in to see me um the other ones that we see a lot of that people can't deal with at home very easily is uh tears to the leading edge whether it either is to mm-hmm. your strut or to the leading edge of the wing or the kite so that that's what we basically specialize in um and of course the um, oh. whether it's a kite or uh, or a wing doesn't make much difference but that leading edge is under a lot of pressure and so to be able to fix that properly uh, require some specific skills and, and tools
1: for sure and so at what size of a canopy repair would you start saying that kind of needs to come into the shop and be stitched
2: it's not just the size of the canopy uh, repair but it's also the location in the canopy where it is um and directions of tears make a difference too so um, so, if you have, um uh, uh, i'm going to talk about a kite it's pretty much no different than a, than a wing in this regard but uh the first um third From your leading edge going from your leading edge to your trailing edge the first third at the front of your wing or your kite is called the center of effort and that's the area that produces the lift or the pull that that uh, keeps us going on the water and that's generally the area of the canopy that's under the most tension as that's where the uh, the pressures are uh, are focusing and so um, anything in that area that's going to load up significantly um, the the bigger the tear the bigger the concern in that area Um, If you've got a a larger tear out towards your wingtip where there's not as much going on, uh, it's not as big of a concern as if it's closer to the leading edge and towards the center of the wing or the kite. So if you're looking at something towards the center of the wing or the kite, uh, we're pretty uh, fussy about it here. So um, you probably could put tape on bigger tears than what uh, I, I would and get away with it if you babysit it and keep an eye on it. Um, but basically anything over a centimeter or two, in my opinion, should have uh, a proper uh, patch on it and sewn into place. Um, the reason for that is tape holds really well for a very short duration. Tape is terrible over long uh, duration stress. Um, there, it doesn't have a very good uh, resistance to shear, so it will pull and move, and that's why I say you should babysit your tears if you put tape on them, keep an eye on them, uh, and just make sure that it's not moving. Um, so it, it's, uh, to sew it in really locks that, uh, that repair in place and will, uh, pardon me, I got a little spider coming down here to see me. Um, so yeah, if you sew that in, that, that will prevent the shear issues and will help through the, the longer duration of, of stress. And then when you have the really momentary, like if you slam the wing or the kite, that's when the tape will, will do its job.
1: Okay. And, and so just to, um, just to kind of help maybe the, everybody at home to if you're how would you know when you're babysitting that that it's time to retape for example are you looking at the edges and kind of seeing if there's glue uh lines where it's stretched or what, what are Pretty you Pretty much exactly
2: for? what you're saying there that's right so uh, when you put the adhesive on uh, the, the patch it generally leaves a little bit of a, a snail trail where you originally put it on and you can see if it's moving and yeah basically that's the idea um Obviously, the cleaner you get uh, the surfaces before you put the tape on, and if you tape it on uh, top and bottom, it's going to have a, a longer-lasting effect. Um, and these are great uh, in the field repairs. If you're uh, at uh, you know some destination, you've got two days left of winging, and you don't want to deal with uh, with uh, out of wing for a 24-hour period or longer, depending on how long the repair guy's busy for, that might save your holiday or something. But uh, I do recommend getting it looked at and properly fixed uh, after that.
1: Yeah, and what do you think of those um, that Kite Fix product? So it's it's a little bit more than tape, right? It's got some fibers in there and stuff as well. Do you find that that's a bit more permanent or not really?
2: Uh, I think it works well uh, if you don't have access to a decent kite repair facility. Um, I was just looking through the Kite Aid uh, repair kit yesterday. Actually, I was doing some organizing here, so I was having a look at it, and the one that I have here. It, um, it seems quite thick and I think it's more intended for a Dacron patch and it's uh, an iron-on product. Is that the one you're thinking of, Tom?
1: Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah.
2: So it works really good for, for leading edge repair, um, but there are some issues with it. Um, so it's an adhesive based, it's an iron-on, it's a, it's a hot melt adhesive. Um, you heat it up and, and uh, it becomes malleable and gets into the fibers of the leading edge or the canopy, whatever it is you're uh, repairing. But um, our canopies, as well as our leading edge, have some films on them and some some chemicals on them that are meant to get rid of water and not soak water up. And they don't lean themselves particularly well to adhesive sticking to them as well. So again, it goes back into how well you're gonna prep the area. Now, my concern is when somebody does an iron-on patch or uh, the other one I've seen, it almost looks like something out of a body shop. It's like a fibrous um, thing that you put on there and you put a glue on it afterwards, like a shoe goo or something. Uh-huh. Um, that, that might save your vacation but it's going to make my job afterwards much more of a pain in my butt and unfortunately yep. when things take longer i charge more money because we are basically uh, mm. work per hour and uh, that can make your uh, repair a lot more expensive down the road if it's something that has to be revisited or if there's other damage very close by in the same area yeah fair enough so, so i have a bit of a love hate with those uh repair type kits because it, it's kind of like uh tire slime, you know, if you're stuck in the desert and uh, you've got a puncture in your tire, you throw that slime in your tire, it seals the hole, but your tire is no longer uh, repairable anymore. And uh, it might save your, your day, but you might have to buy a new tire sooner. sooner. So it's uh, six to okay. one half a dozen of the other.
1: Okay. So your preference would be to see some sort of a sticky bag Dacron tape. And once you can get to a, a reputable repair shop, that's, what, that's the real solution.
2: That is the real solution, but unfortunately, like on your leading edge, for instance, if your tear is uh, in the wrong direction or of significant length, uh, stick-on background tape is going to be pretty useless. Um, yeah. And if you're lucky enough to have only put a small slice in your leading edge and not damage the bladder and the tape doesn't work properly, uh, it could potentially turn into something uh, really awful as well, completely splitting wide open and uh, rendering the mm-hmm. bladder uh, useless as well. So, you know, if you're on Maui and you've got that perfect swell coming in and you don't care, it's worth it. Then, you know, I understand, go for it. But uh, if you're just at your regular home spot and it's kind of a mediocre day, maybe don't use the uh, those types of repair materials and uh, get your kite into a proper repair shop or wing.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, if, so it sounds to me like if it's a canopy repairs, those Dacron sticky backs and, you know, try to save your session if it's a leading edge, um, unless it's like the session of your lifetime, probably should just bring it into a shop
2: so yeah our general rule here is uh, anything on your leading edge more than one centimeter in length uh does deserve a proper patch um okay. if you happen to again going back to wings if you taco the wing and sorry the kite if you taco the kite in exactly the spot where that one centimeter tear is and the kite goes down really hard and it uh you know loses its shape and, and i'm trying to do this better your tear is right here and you, and you start doing this to it the tear could have a tendency to run away on you um, so yep. anything over one centimeter, yeah, I agree, it should be sewn and, and taped properly. Um, but something you can do that uh, would limp something along like that, and if you're a pretty proficient winger or kiter, and the chances of you slamming your equipment are a lot less, um, you can also put a dacron patch on the inside. Um, it's a little bit awkward. Hmm. Um, most equipment still has a zipper left in it for putting the bladder in and out of the leading edge, and you can usually. Um, I'm five foot ten and I've got uh, pretty decent sized hands. I can still fit my hand inside most zippers and then uh, I'm able to put a patch on the inside. The advantage to the patch on the inside is that the uh, pressure from the bladder as it's inflated will actually push the patch in place and help hold it in.
1: Yeah, Okay.
2: Yeah, that's a great solution, I agree. Yeah, so if it's a centimeter and a half or less, uh, that's a good way to go. It also makes a difference too, depending on which way the tear is. So um, uh, we're talking about a cylinder here, I'm just gonna hold this roll of tape up. Um, If your tear is in the same direction as the line, that's bad. If your tear is this direction, that's much better. And that's due to the forces exerted on the cylinder. A lot of people don't realize that the, and I was again, really lucky to, uh, uh, to learn from Greg. As I said earlier, I, I treated this as like an apprenticeship. Um, Greg, my mentor that taught me all this stuff is a uh, university trained mechanical engineer. He's got a master's in mechanical engineering degree. And so his ability with math and pressures and, and those types of things are quite ridiculous. And so he taught mm. me right away that uh, pressure on the cylinder uh, around the circumference is twice the pressure as it is going towards the ends. Okay. So uh, you wouldn't necessarily have- uh, You break you know, that down for us. Break it down for you? For us mere mortals,
1: Yo, Yeah, so for some- um, for, So basically so what it, it means understand. is if,
2: if I have a tear in, in this direction, like this black line here by my finger, it's going to be under twice as much tension pulling that tear apart as if it was vertical. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? And
1: then, Yeah. Yes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And
2: that's just a function of pressure in a cylinder and how, and how that works. And that's, again, that's something Greg learned in, in uh, university or probably before that. And uh, just something we don't think about. So a lot of people, oh, my leading edge is torn. First question I ask is what direction is it in? And most people like, oh, who cares what direction it's in? Well, it actually matters what direction it's in. It's going to change how yeah. I'm going to repair it. So uh, for me, if I'm repairing a, a long tear, you know, a, a, along the, this direction here, I have a different sewing pattern than I use. And then if I'm doing a vertical uh, repair, and again, just because I know that those forces are, are twice as much as they are in the other direction.
0: Okay. Okay. Very and then you're, you're also mentioning as well that the pressure, uh, it dissipates as it goes out.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So yeah, um, we all know the term uh, pounds per square inch, you know, we inflate our wings to seven psi or whatever. And that's a, a, you know, some are a little higher, some are a little lower, it doesn't really matter. And then we give it the, the flick right near the inflate valve, and we get the nice ting, ting, ting. Mm-hmm. And what a lot of people don't necessarily notice is if you go out towards the wingtip where the diameter is significantly reduced, you don't get the same sound. Uh, in fact, the wingtip is quite malleable in comparison to the center of the, uh, the wing or the kite. And the reason for that is, again, uh, the PSI. So I'll bring my trusty roll tape back out. So if this is our leading edge and this is at our inflate valve at our widest point of our kite or our wing, let's say that this is 16 inches around, just for a number. So okay. 16 times 8 PSI, and I'm not great with math on the fly, but whatever that number is. So if you have, you know, 16 square inches around here and each one's pushing out at 8 PSI, you're going to have more than if this was 3 square inches around and there's only three square inches around the circumference does that make sense yeah so you're saying
1: basically the
2: larger the circumference
1: the there's more, more there's more inches force there is there
2: yeah there's, so yeah. there's more square inches in, in a larger circumference than there is in a smaller circumference so and for that reason if, if you look at a wing or, um, or or a kite when it's inflated if you if you squeeze it at the center where it's at its widest it's it's very tight and taut everything there and you go to the wingtip things are quite malleable and you can move them around a little bit and again this becomes a factor because uh, especially in wings i'm noticing now some of these wings uh the wasp uh, in particular i can think of the slingshot was it wasp was that the one of the first wings that came out that's uh
1: no that's from ozone the wasp but yes <laughs> Sorry. That's, that is a model
2: anyways uh, i can't remember if it was the ozone or, or the, the slingshot but uh, it was one of the first wings that we had in and the leading edge on it was just tremendous i mean it was huge Yeah. and you're still pumping that thing up to eight psi and i mean this thing was like honestly like this my alula uh, kites are like this so i inflate the alula mm-hmm. kite up to seven psi and this guy is inflating his wing up to eight psi you can imagine with that circumference how much more force that dacron is under
1: oh yeah absolutely okay.
2: Which is absolutely, uh, you know, at the, the, the edges of, of what we can do with those products. Um, you know, Dacron, I don't think we can make anything much bigger and inflate it to those PSIs. Uh, we have issues now with how we close the leading edge and, and uh, other seams when they start to um, affect the integrity of the Dacron, uh, you know, once you start getting that big in diameter, it's, uh, you're really maxing out what you can do with that material and you're on the verge of exploding, honestly.
0: So if if I if I understand what you're what you're saying, so if it's a smaller circumference, then it can take a bit more pressure.
2: Yes, I believe so. So yeah, okay. Mathematically, okay. I mean that makes sense. And then uh, you know when we start to get into newer materials that have uh, different properties, uh, our traditional numbers really sort of go out the window.
1: Yeah. The only tricky part about it is that as much as the larger diameter takes more, it it generates more pressure, as you're saying, or more force on the Dacron. um, It also mechanically has a much better rigidity over the length. Oh,
2: absolutely. It creates stiffness. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah. So it's it's kind of a balancing act. And I guess that's why at the end of the day, most leading edges and most struts end up being at a relatively similar diameter because... um, there's limits to what you can do
2: well and it also changes your your airflow i mean uh, the bigger the leading edge the less efficient it has to be i mean you're creating a larger amount of drag at the the uh, the front of your wing that uh, that that has to point a little less uh word word i'm looking for here it can't be as efficient for pointing um mind mm-hmm. you yeah, uh, your your angle of attack can't be as tight because no, uh, and, uh,
1: you stall out the wing faster
2: well and i think yeah. you're going to create more drag too with with a bigger airfoil like that
1: yeah definitely definitely i think it, it's been interesting with wings because uh i know coming i i used to kite quite a bit before and you know certain kites would have very thin leading edges and that would let you point up when really well and yep. then you'd have the wave kites that would have these really big fat leading edges to help the kite drift um yes. But in winging, you know, the only interest I can possibly think of of having a lead, of thick leading edge is to have a stiffer leading edge. Because in terms of drifting, you really don't need that thick leading edge to help the kite fly. If anything, it's, it makes it worse. Um, so in that regard, getting into, you know, Lula materials and whatnot, you can really go quite thin diameter without losing out on the drifting ability. And then, you know, you have a much more efficient airfoil, which makes it much more interesting.
2: Well, and then you can pump it up to the higher pressure too. So um, if I recall, um, again, like I said, we work closely with Ocean Rodeo. And uh, when I start talking about their new materials, I'll be honest with you, I don't have all the information here. And a lot of the new materials are also in development. So you can't necessarily take what I say uh, as, as uh, you know, the word of law or anything on it. But uh, I've heard uh, back in the very beginning when they're playing with Alula that they were pumping things up uh, and the leading edge seam was, uh, could hold up to 30 psi wow that's insane yeah so if you can reduce your your leading edge diameter and then regain the stiffness by by adding pressure um, I think that's a design improvement and uh, and something that we haven't been able to do because the materials haven't allowed us to do that before
1: Mm -hmm. for sure and I mean uh, if you get into things like Alula then you're also because the material is so stiff and because it, it doesn't stretch the way the Dacron does, you can reduce the, lead, the edge, even without, uh, you know, uh, adding pressure and you still have a very rigid frame. I remember trying the first version of the um, Alula wing, uh, the, the glide from ocean rodeo and thinking that it's kind of a, a shame that they kept such a big leading edge because I found the wing to be almost too stiff. Um, if you inflated it to a normal PSI,
2: I actually believe that uh, Ocean Royal has done a bit of publicizing lately on the, their new wings coming out for 2023 and they've actually got a, a new product coming out. And I can't remember if this one's coming on the 2023 or not, but uh, a which is basically like a, a black Alula. And I believe the idea there was to soften up the wing tips and the wings a little bit. Okay.
1: Yeah, because there's definitely something to be said. You know, you do want the wing to be stiff. You want that leading edge to not, um, you know, deform and taco on you. But there is something to be said about having a bit of a whip in the in the wingtips and how it it just makes the wing more stable as it gets gusts and makes it easier to pump. Uh, yeah. th- there's definitely something to be said for that.
3: Yeah,
2: that reminds Absolutely. me of the old uh, yeah, I know like surfing days a little bit. <laughs> I remember the old uh, windsurfing sails. Uh, yeah, windsurfed in the sure. '90s, and uh, uh, if you I... put on enough downhaul, the uh, the top would uh, get a little bit loose, so you could uh, bleed off some big gusts. Uh, exactly, we mm-hmm. don't want everything too stiff either. No, and it's the same no, issue exactly. with the, the kites too. I mean, uh, when when we steer a kite, we're actually deforming its shape uh, in order to get it to turn. So th- there needs to be a certain forgiveness in that leading edge to allow that deformation to initiate the turn. Um. We talked a little bit for those at home
0: about DIY repairs, um, yep. what is what is there about just to take care of your wing? So if you, I know we had talked a little bit when I came to the shop about sand, about making sure water's out of it, all that kind of thing, but maybe we can go over some of those kind of tips and tricks for people at home.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So there are a few and uh, regionally it makes a difference to where you are as to what your kite or wing has been subject to. So. The uh, reason I say that is I'm on the, the West Coast here, salt water is, a, is an issue for us here. Uh, not an issue for the guys in Ontario, obviously, but uh, people do travel and go to different destinations, so it's definitely something to think about. Um, we'll talk you first about the salt water. Um, salt water is great, it makes us buoyant, um, but the problem with salt water is it has salt in it, so you can't drink it. Nice thing about the middle of the lake, when you're hot in the middle of a summer okay. session, you can just dive in and get a big gulp. Um, but the, uh, salt water, uh, the water evaporates and it leaves salt crystals behind and salt crystals are very, very sharp. If you look at them under uh, a magnifying glass, you'd be really uh, surprised how sharp salt crystals are. And, uh, so as I like I said, the water evaporates, the salt crystals remain inside your bladder. If you've gotten any salt water in there and it takes a little time, don't get me wrong. I mean, it's not like you did this on Sunday and you're going to have salt crystals by Monday morning or something, but uh, as you inflate the wing and deflate it, every time a little more moisture will get taken out with that air that ambient air as it, as it leaves the, the wing and at some point it will be dry and when you start folding that uh, wing up that's where we start to see the problems of the salt crystals starting to uh, to uh, penetrate through the uh, the bladder material in multiple places um, i had one here a little while ago it was a bladder in a ocean rodeo rise uh, kite and it uh, somebody had pulled the inflate valve on it out in the water um, This is a scenario that happens a lot with kite schools. I probably don't see it happening as much with wings because I don't think you're always teaching from the jet ski quite the same way and and, uh, taking people way downwind and then having to bring them back and uh, deflate the equipment. But uh, yeah, the equipment gets deflated salt water gets into it and the school pumps it up and keeps going and uh, those are the ones that uh, I see it on the most. Um, sand, as a comparative, uh, it, it's not good to get it inside your bladder. Um, usually happens from people putting their hose down in the, on the ground as they're unfolding things and they put the inflate uh, hose onto the inflate valve and then that sand gets transferred inside. Uh, but if you look at the sand uh, under a microsc- well, microscope, not quite needed, but under a magnifying glass, you'll see that the edges are very rounded on sand, so uh, it doesn't have nearly the same effect when you're folding the kite. <coughs> Um, But sand can be a problem if you happen to step on the wing or the kite on the leading edge and there's sand in between the bladder and you step on it, very likely put a pinhole in it at this point. Uh, And this is becoming more of an issue as bladders are now uh, a source of uh, weight reduction as well on on equipment. Um, Again, uh, talking about the ocean rodeo stuff. They've developed a thinner bladder to help uh, <laughs> reduce the weight of these uh, kites. And unfortunately, when you reduce weight on a bladder, it doesn't make it stronger. It does require uh, a little more finesse. So uh, as far as how you can take care of it, uh, when you're putting your hose on your inflate valve, um, some people you know, were very excited. We got to the beach, we just drove through traffic that wasn't going nearly fast enough. And so it was over- two hours to get there. Yeah, the um, uh, light's fading or not quite fading, but you've only got an hour and a half to get out there. So you want to pump quickly. And a lot of people just jam their inflate uh, hose onto their uh, onto their inflate valve. Um, and the problem with that is the back of the inflate valve, depending on what you have, can be quite uh, uh, hard plastic. And if you're mashing that on there and there's sand or salt crystals in between, you've got the other side of the bladder behind it. It's very easy to poke a hole in there. Okay. Um, so. I always tell people, you know, make sure your hose is clean before you inflate your kite. And uh, I always lift my kite up and put my inflate valve on and then put it down. I don't just mash it on there on the ground. Uh, I'm also very careful where I lay my kite out before I inflate it. Uh, Same with the wings. Um, Our local beaches here have a lot of barnacles and broken shells. So you do want to be cautious where you put it. And those are some of the Yeah, that's lethal. And then I think the one that most people probably could be better at is taking their equipment down when they're done using it um yeah i've seen these other uh, questions come in and 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 kites come in from guys who don't have that many hours on them and the canopy has just seen far too many uv hours um, the sun is our biggest enemy when it comes to our equipment really i mean if, if we're smart about uh, sand and salt and other maintenance and care issues uh sun is our next biggest problem So uh, I see a lot of guys, uh, you know, La Ventana down south will uh, go out kiting for an hour and a half. He comes in, he puts his kite down or his wing down, throws his board on it. All of his buddies are on shore talking about how great the session was. Here's your beer. And two hours later, he Mm. thinks, oh, I should go get my gear off the beach. Um, Don't let your stuff sit on the beach and flap. I mean, it's great for me. I sell equipment. I love it when people want to buy more stuff. But uh, if you want to get your stuff to last a little longer, wrap your lines up. Just for us kiters obviously not you wingers but uh yep. just wrap your gear up um as it's sitting there flapping it i mean it stretches it out the uv is hard on it uh, and your your board is likely sitting on it to hold it down although i notice a lot of you wingers just like to use the leash and find a, a sign or something to strap the leash to and then the, the wing just sort of flops there a little bit which is probably not great for it either but uh, um no actually- that adds
1: so much abrasion on the boom and on the wing tips, and it's just it's no good I, I totally agree. I think if you're if you're not going back on the water within the next half an hour to an hour, that, that should be deflated and put in the shade.
2: Yeah. And then if it's not going to be. And even if you are going to go back out, uh, you know, how we put equipment on it to to weight it down makes a difference too. Um, I see a lot of guys will take their twin tip board and put it on their kite, and uh, the, the uh, pressure focuses on the fins through that canopy material onto whatever's below it. And we don't have that many sandy beaches here. It's usually pretty rocky. And that's how oh, yeah. you. But most of your pinholes in your canopy material is from putting your board on it and i can imagine that's not much different in winging except you guys are putting your boards on slightly different of course because you've got foil to be uh, to be aware of and not put through the canopy go sorry ahead, go ben. ahead
1: luke okay <laughs> so something i've seen often people doing is um tying up their wings onto their boards leash attachment point because that yeah. seems like a you know an easy place to tie it but then leaving the foil upwind and then you have the board and then you have the wing so what's going to happen if the wing starts pulling the board is just going to flip and then the foil goes vertical and then bam foil right through the wing so usually what i like to do with mine is i'll put the foil downwind and then attach the wing to the foil and at that point you know you have kind of a sand anchor from the foil wing um kind of digging in and there's no reason for your equipment to fly on top of your wing.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I've had that happen. I was coming in at China Creek and and obviously I was holding, but that's one of the only tears I've gotten in the wings is because it was just gusts coming in, holding similar situation in the sense that you have to be aware of where wind is coming. Um, I had a question, Yost, about if you have to keep your wing in the sun. Now, I started deflating mine a little bit just so that it was less pressureized. Um, Is that what you recommend if you just have to leave it in the sun for a little bit?
2: Well, I guess, I mean, it depends too. I mean, if you pump it up at 6.30 in the morning and, you know, the the temperature's gone up 20 degrees and you did it in the shade and then the sun comes out, I imagine it makes a big difference. Uh, You know, from 11 o'clock in the morning to three in the afternoon, I don't know if it'd make a huge difference, but I'm sure it wouldn't hurt by any means. I mean, um, all these materials do stretch out and such. Um, Again, my biggest concern uh, when it's not in use is that it's not flapping. So uh, for me, uh, yeah, dropping the pressure sounds like a great idea. Uh, Makes sense to me. But again, a couple airbags so that that canopy is not flopping around. Um, and I think that's a, an issue probably more so for you wingers than the, the kiters in that uh, your wings are only good for so many hours before they're bagged out. Um, yeah. Again, winging oh, yeah, is, is a relatively new sport. But uh, I know I heard a year ago or a year and a half ago, um, guys on, on certain wings were like, you know, this, this wing is great for the first 100 hours.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's, that's generous. That, Honestly, that's generous. It, it depends on how heavy you are and how hard you're pushing your wing. But how I've had wings pull. bag out after one session. You know, if you go out really overpowered and you're really pushing what the wing can do, there's a visible difference in the shape of the of the sail. In one session. Really one session.
0: Wow. Yeah. We're, no, we're yeah, not. We're not going to mention brands, yeah. but <laughs> we we won't mention. But yeah, I, I found the ones that yeah. I've had. No, no. For a bit, I mean, for that particular wing, too. I was actually
1: happy you did it because the canopy was a little too flat, so it was nice that it bagged out a little. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it's pretty insane how fast it can go. Uh, so definitely, that that's our biggest enemy. But I agree that the flapping is, is terrible. It's just the worst thing you can do to material. Uh, apart from dragging it through sand and sitting in the sun, the flapping is just really, really bad.
2: Well, and for me, I've always been a budget kiter. So I've, you know, if, if I did buy a newer piece of equipment, I wanted to be able to sell it for something too while it was still worth something. And those wrinkles mm-hmm. are very visible on the trailing edge on, on the, on the, you know, kites that have sat in the, in the sun for too many hours Lap, and you, you can't hide that. And uh, okay. you know, so, you know, if, if you're that, that lawyer, uh, doctor surgeon guy that, you know, just buys a new piece of equipment every three or four months and you don't care what you get for, it, you give it to your, your neighbor, your kid's going to ruin it. Then, you know, who cares? But, uh, for the rest of us, that, uh, that money is an issue. And I mean, money is an issue for everybody, but uh, for the yeah. rest of us that are trying to you know, squeeze a little more out of it, uh, that makes a big difference too on uh, your pocketbook at the end of the year. That makes sense. And then so I guess talking along that same kind of
0: realm, putting your wing or kite away now, especially with wings, because sometimes you'll have one valve, two valves, however that, that thing is set up. Are you leaving them deflated, meaning sort of the the valve open? Um, Now, the Ocean Rodeo and the KTs, they have that screw-on valve. The the strikes have the push-button valve. Do you recommend deflating your wing and then closing the valve and then wrapping your, your wing up or leaving them open?
2: That depends on the valve that you have as well. Um, so you, you did mention the, uh, the KT and the ocean rodeo valve, um, that one in Mm -hmm. particular, I definitely put the the valve back in, in the screw it in just a few turns after I've got the majority of the air out of it. So I'll actually fold the kite or the wing right till I get to the center point. I've squeezed all the air out and then I'll actually put that valve in a few turns. Um, the reason for that's two reasons for that, uh, the obvious one that people think of is so that you don't get debris inside. Um, that's really important. But, uh, number two is, on the inflate valve, the portion, the female portion that's attached to your leading edge, if you look at it closely, there's a, there's a raised ring in the center of it, and the rubber part of the inflate valve seats against that. That's a, a ceiling surface. The hard part of your inflate valve, if it's just sort of pressed up against the, uh, the, the female portion there, it can actually indent that and cause a, a pathway for air to leak. So I've seen that quite a few times actually, um, you know, you, you do the whole kite up with soapy water, you don't find anything, you finally look at the inflate valve closely and realize, oh, that's where it's, where it's leaking. And that's why, because the, uh, the valve was stored loose and a hard portion of the valve contacted a part of the, that it shouldn't have and, and deformed it. Now, when we're talking about um, uh, traditional or the older style, like the, uh, the nine and 11 millimeter inflate valve, like I have here, this one, you definitely want to leave open as well as if you have the, uh, the sorry, this is the nine nine mil. Anyways, there's also the uh, deflate valve. That's, that's this style, like on a lot of Duotone. And you want to leave that out because if, if you put the plug in here, it's going to stretch the, the plastic portion. And if you leave it out, it'll regain, you know, it'll, it'll maintain its small size. And when you put the plug in, it will actually do its job.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, on this whole um, topic, of taking care of wings and how to avoid damage Uh, we got a, a question on the chat from andre and paul about in the winter i don't know if you guys do any uh kite skiing or anything like that um do you have any tips for how to not uh how to best take care of your wings and kites in the winter
2: so uh the biggest issue that i'm hearing about uh the wings in the winter um for kites it's not a big deal we don't have a window in them generally um, but the, uh, the windows that they've been putting in the wings work wonderful in tropical destinations, but, uh, they become very brittle, uh, in our colder climate here. And the, the, uh, windows have a tendency of cracking if, if you fold them incorrectly or unfold them uh, too quickly, or not even if you do it incorrectly, it's just a, a function of the, uh, of that material getting really stiff in the cold. So if you're going to do uh, winter winging, I suggest finding a wing that does not have a window in it. Yeah, absolutely. And or I think in, the inflate it in your well hotel well. room and put it in your van, inflate it. Walk out to your spot.
0: Are there yeah. any other parts of the wing that we should be concerned about in the winter, canopy leading, like any of that stuff kind of rubbing around, obviously any kind of if there's ice crystals and stuff that could tear relatively quickly?
2: Yeah, again, it really just boils down to uh to the surfaces that you're working with and of course the the big issue with uh, snow is things don't stay in one place. you know. The wind comes up, it wants to blow it down the uh, the lake or whatever it is that you're, you're on that's, that's frozen that you're working with. Um, I do suggest just folding it out a little bit more gently and stuff, uh, you know, a little okay. slower or whatever. But uh, as far as that, the only thing I can really think of that's an issue in the winter is, is those windows. Um, that thick okay. uh, plastic really does not handle folding very well in the cold at all. For sure. Jennifer those... here had a, oh, sorry, go ahead, Tom. And yeah, uh, sorry, uh, one, one last question on that
1: um those valves those old, older style valves that you showed um yep. i've had issues with those in really cold conditions so we're not talking like minus 5 but if you're in minus 20 or minus 25 um i've had issues with those valves either ripping or kind of getting you know deformed pretty badly so i would definitely say if you're winging in really really cold conditions and you have one of those deflate valves um, maybe blow some warm air on it before you pull out the, uh, before before you pull out the cap and that'll just soften up the material a little bit and it makes it less likely that you'll tear off the top and less likely that it will break the valve.
2: Yeah. Or hold it in your hand or something like you're saying. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Okay.
2: Here, Jennifer had
0: a question. Can you store your wings in your car for most of the winter? Uh, does it matter if your wing is always cold material, anything? Anything like that affect the longevity?
2: All right, so um, I've been fixing kites for three and a half, almost four years now. And so I don't know everything. Um, okay. I would really like to ask uh, my, my uh, sensei, Greg, that question. Um, <laughs> but everything that I'm hearing about uh, vehicle storage is always referencing warm. Heat is our okay. problem, not, not the cold. And the reason for that, and again, it's less of an issue with, with wings than it is with kites. But we have a real problem with valve delamination at some point uh, due to aging and the heat in the car will definitely accelerate that. So um, what you don't wanna do is keep your wing in the back of your car uh, on a summer day, somewhere where it's gonna be really hot. Um, You're better off if you have an option to put it in a shady spot under the vehicle or something like that. I'd be more concerned about my summer storage than the winter.
1: Yeah, I do think that in a long-term situation, like you're talking about, Jennifer, about leaving it kind of all winter in your car, uh, with the material being cold and kind of cycling hot, cold, hot, cold from when you warm up your car as you drive it, that might cause some wear potentially maybe, but it's mostly when your material is cold and if it's sitting in the back of the car and you toss something on top of it or it's getting crushed. Uh, you might be getting yeah. some folds in there that are the material is not going to love. So th- I think that would probably be the biggest concern about keeping it in the cold. But if not, I mean, wings are pretty small and pretty light. I think, uh, tossing it in the house is probably your best move in any <laughs> any circumstance. Mm-hmm. And maybe
0: bladder as well. Right. If it's, if it's sitting there at minus 30 or something and yeah and then you toss like your
1: hockey skates on it or something yeah absolutely
0: yeah yeah exactly or even if you go to pump up a wing that's been in minus 30 forever like potentially that could do something as well um brian just had a question here do you recommend us to use some tuck tape or clear gorilla tape on the wing windows to prevent cracking when folded
2: um that's interesting. Good question, Brian. Are mm-hmm. you talking about like uh, some damage you already see, or are you talking about re- uh, preventative uh, altogether?
0: Uh, both, uh, mostly preventive.
2: I, I I live in Vancouver Island, so uh, we had our cold snap yesterday of minus sorry plus <laughs> plus two. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> so. Um, yeah. Honestly, I think for me, if if uh, if I was winging in really cold uh, winter and and I had uh, one of those big windows in it, I would probably try to find a way to roll my wing more than folding it. Um, if you can roll that window around, uh, you know, a, a nice uh, big piece of uh, cardboard or something that that's a, you know, a tube of cardboard or something, that'd probably be the best for it. Not going to help you with your storage solutions, unfortunately, because it's not going to be very small that way. But uh, I think yeah. that's going to be the best way to deal with those. Uh, and I think those windows are urethane, if I remember correctly. But uh, yeah, those big windows, uh, they need to be rolled. Yeah, old. yeah so better to roll instead of a fold.
0: Huh? But you yeah. know what? Your
2: tape yeah. trick might work. I mean, it's definitely worth a try. Uh, I'm not a fan of tuck tape because it leaves an awful sticky mess behind afterwards.
0: Because it already happened to me last winter. And I yeah. put the uh, tuck tape and it still holds uh, Oh, absolutely.
2: Tuck tape will work. I spent uh,
0: two weeks, I just came back from my vacation, and it still holds nicely
2: in the ocean. Oh, yeah, tuck hmm. tape is, is, a, is a great uh, temporary repair. It's uh, not a lot of fun for me after because I have to get the, gluey, uh, the gooey stuff off after to, to make a nice repair of it. But uh, if you're somewhere and that's all you got, it, uh, it works well. It does stick. Mm. Yeah. But One I guess idea you don't recommend it to prevent, right? Because it adds to the weight. It does add to the weight. Now, something I've thought about before, too, again, uh, running a repair shop here is the option of removing a window altogether. If you have a wing that you really like and you do want to use it for, for uh, cold conditions. And generally, the nice thing with uh, with the cold conditions is there's not as many people out. So the, the, the need for the window is not the same as uh, being in La Ventana when there's 350 people out and you really got to watch before you make your jibe. But uh, another great. option is to remove the window altogether.
3: Mm.
1: Totally. Uh one idea for the full for the rolling in winter, you could use a, a large diameter pool noodle. Uh and at that point it's nice and soft and doesn't kind of hurt the material. And if you cut it to the right length, then you can still fold your wing in half and your windows stay flat, which is how you should be folding and rolling your wings, anyways. You shouldn't be creasing the windows when no, you, you fold you them because that's be regardless to avoid of temperature is gonna destroy them. Yeah.
0: Ron has a question, any recommendations on how best to pack up your wing, particularly way to roll or fold it, anything to avoid?
2: Well, I was out uh, kiting on Saturday and uh, as I said earlier in my uh, shop here I've got enough room to inflate a 17 meter uh, kite so uh, I just
0: This episode is brought to you by Saladita Kite School in La Ventana, Mexico. If you caught some of our uh, stories yesterday on Instagram, you'll have seen that. I just got in a couple epic days of downwinding. We got a 10-kilometer downwinder done with my buddy Mickey from Salt Spring Island. Today, I got in an epic one with my friend Britt. Um, We went from La Tuna all the way to the beach and back, heck of a fun time. If you're looking to learn, there's nothing better than getting a lesson from the pros at Saladita Kite School. They are positioned at Latuna and now that I've been here a little while, I've gotten the opportunity to visit to a couple different spots. It is one of the more beginner-friendly beaches with some nice sand so you're not walking on any rocks. Um, They do offer professional jet ski-assisted kite and wing foil lessons um, so once again, they're at Latuna, so if you want to grab a beer after, grab some ice cream, grab anything, it is a nice little hub there, so you're not just stuck kind of in the middle of nowhere. So they have you covered if you want to learn to kite, foil, or looking into downwinding. they got top quality gear as well, uh, so don't hesitate. Book your lessons today by visiting com or send them a message on Instagram at Saladita kite School at Saladita. Kite school.
2: Make a big ball out of my uh, my my uh, kite and throw it in the back of my vehicle and make sure I don't close the door on it and bring it home and hang it up. Um, <laughs> it, it makes a big difference on where you, where you are. So uh, you know if you're on a, on a sandy beach or something that's going to uh, render your wing with a lot of debris and, and dirt on it, I would say just get it in your car and get it home and deal with it on your grassy lawn where uh, where you've got a soft surface to work on.
0: Okay, and then for rolling, folding, all that kind of stuff, I think you had mentioned to me before. I think I talked to with Greg about this as well as he had recommended packing it differently so that the creases were not in the exact same way every single time. So one, he would fold it like a taco. Another time you would roll it from one wingtip and go all the way across. Yep. So, that you, so you would change those patterns. Is
2: that, is that correct? And that works really well on a lot of equipment when you don't have a window to deal with. Unfortunately with the windows okay. on the wings, it, it kind of leaves you uh like Tom was saying, if you, if you want to fold it properly, there's kind of only one or two ways you can fold it where you don't fold the window. So you're, you're kind of stuck okay. with, uh, with, with that a bit. Um, Paul and Andre have another question. We tried
0: hydrophobic spray on the wing to stop icing the other day. Is that a bad for the bladder? Do you think?
2: I'm not sure what hydrophobic spray is. Now, this is a great question okay. from Greg.
1: <laughs> okay. So what
0: we'll do is we'll, uh,
2: we'll come I'm back to that I'm guessing that's some
1: form of a DWR, uh, like some sort of a kind of what is already on the Dacron anyways. So uh, and on... Yeah, I wouldn't think so either. Is, is that what that is, Paul and Andre? Like some sort of like maybe a, a hard shell uh, jacket, you know, waterproofing spray. Is that what you're
3: talking about? Um, Yeah, so this is like Tremclad makes these highly repellent um, materials that don't absorb water. And when we're sailing in like one or two degrees Celsius, we get icing on the edge of the wing. The wing actually falls out of the air like an airplane wing, right? So we thought, hey, we'll try the spray. And it seemed to stop, I guess, the ice seeding. You know, when ice seeds, it becomes solid. It kind of stopped right. that, and it maybe modeled the surface a bit of the of the wing, like the F1, but um, I, I don't know if it's bad for it, but, you know, it extends us down into colder temperatures.
2: <laughs> is this Paul talking uh,
3: right now? Yeah.
2: Hi, Paul. You're here. So um, the, uh, the Dacron, the traditional material we've been making, our leading edges already have a, um, a chemical on them, uh, like Tom was saying, that makes the water beat up. And that, that chemical does wear off over time. And uh, so that's probably not a bad idea to use a spray like that. I can't see it harming the bladder. I mean, um, I try not to use too much uh, acetone if I'm cleaning a bladder, but I mean, I can use acetone on a bladder and it hasn't ruined them yet. So it, uh, they are pretty beefy. Uh, the bladder's biggest problem is uh, any sort of sharp foreign object and pressures in that regard, but uh, they do do handle things quite well. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Okay.
1: One- One thing that you should look into though, is, is what is that spray meant to go on? Because I know that there's a lot of sprays like that, that are meant to go on kind of a Gore-Tex material or any sort of, you know, breathable membrane and anything like that. I would think you wouldn't have any issues, but if it's, um, some sort of a spray that's meant to go, I don't know, on metal or something like that, maybe there'll be a chemical reaction with the Dacron. And at that point that could be an issue uh, for longevity potentially. um okay John jennifer has asked a question clothing. there
2: too uh luke um uh, jennifer's jennifer, asked yes, do you, wash, uh, your do you wash your wing if it's been in the ocean a uh, good question hmm. jennifer um there's a big difference between ocean water and fresh water ocean water we talked about the problems with the salt and stuff getting in your bladder but uh, the advantage to ocean water is it doesn't mildew on your equipment if you uh if you put it away a little bit damp so uh for me okay. here having sailed on the coast for years Uh, you'd roll your windsurfing sail up at the end of the day, you'd pull it out two weeks later, and it's probably a lot drier, but uh, we don't have mildew and mold issues. Um, There might be some salt staining and such on it, but uh, that'll clear off uh, the next time you crash anyways. Um, But washing your equipment is never a bad idea, um, uh, especially uh, with salt water and such. Um, But the key there afterwards is to make sure it's dry before you put it away.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. I've also heard from a number of manufacturers that they there's an issue with washing uh equipment with city water because it's chlorinated and the chlorine can kind of affect the canopy and stuff like that have you had
2: that experience as well i haven't heard that before it's uh it is a good point um you know we're definitely getting less and less chlorine in city waters um, we've got a new water treatment plant here ourselves where where we're at and it's all uv and such but uh And and again, uh, both the uh, canopy and the leading edge both have uh, a a chemical on them that uh, doesn't allow them to really uh, become saturated. Um, The nice thing with a brand new wing, um, you know, when it's really crispy on that leading edge is when you do go in the water, it doesn't absorb any water because those chemicals are doing their job. Um, So I can imagine that that would possibly uh, negate some of the negative effects as well until it's, you know, after a while, your wing is not as crispy anymore. And then it does start to absorb water. It it could then uh, start to become a bit more of an issue, I would think.
1: Yeah, and I think the the idea of the spray-on clothing uh, DWR, uh, the, the water repellent product, could be uh, probably a pretty good idea. And that, that would help. You could do that on the canopy and the leading edge, and that would only just make the material more UV resistant and repel water better. So I'd, I would think that's probably a pretty good move.
0: And Jennifer had another question here about older, older kites. Um, do you know how long that material, I guess if we're looking from an ethical standpoint, if you're going to hurt somebody by selling them something older now, obviously there is some buyer
2: beware in anything you buy, but, um, what are your thoughts on that? Yes. Um, so when uh, I'm a newer kiter, uh, I was a windsurfer up until recently. Um, I've just started kiting about four and a half, five years ago. I still consider myself a new kiter. Um, and at that time I was a budget kiter and I was looking at used equipment. So uh, my first set of kites, I believe were 2013s or 2014s. Um, at that time I did do all the proper lessons, you know, at, Knit and at uh, I did some at uh, China Creek and such. And the general rule of thumb that everybody was telling me at that time was anything 2010 and newer is safer. And that has to do with the, uh, the safety systems and how we eject out of the kites
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, that they flag out on one line and, and that they're just generally a little bit safer. Um, So 2009, 2010, there's probably not a huge difference between those years. Um, But my bigger concern when you get to kites of that age, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, is delamination of valves. Um, Quite Mm -hmm. often kites of that age uh, don't hold air anymore or are on the verge of the valves peeling off of the bladders. So uh, in that case, what I would do if those were my kites and uh, I wanted to sell them, uh, I would uh, pump them up uh, for four or five hours or longer and ensure that they hold pressure. Um, if they do that, and they're generally in decent shape, and you do have somebody who's a, a budget kiter out there that's looking to buy them, I don't see why not. I mean, uh, we would never. Um, that's a big difference between kiting and winging. Um, in, in kiting, I would never suggest somebody goes and watch a YouTube video and goes out and tries it on their own. Um, Luke, I understand you're an instructor. I've seen you teaching at China Creek. Don't you take
0: money out of my pocket now,
2: yos? It's very not difficult. taking money out of your land, pocket. Land lessons are important. Land, well, I know the whole thing is important. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. teaching is going to speed up anybody's uh, <laughs> uh, learning yeah. process and is going to make their time on the water yeah. uh, more fun, more quickly. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But I wouldn't be concerned about somebody wanting to go out there and, you know, bash their head against the wall and try and learn it on their own. Like, they might yes, end up downwind sure. and have to do some walks, but unlikely they're going to get themselves into a stupid scenario.
0: Unless they, they get a little happy with the foil. Um, one thing, (laughs) it's a little off topic, but one, one thing this, this summer, when I noticed when I was teaching some people is actually snowboard stance versus kind of a surfer stance and the front foot actually make a huge difference in preventing that taco. So when they're going into a, a attack or into a jibe and they're initiating their first turns, a lot of the time, what, what happens I find is they go and then there's this turn and then they kind of turn backwards and they can end up getting close to the foil. So getting off topic, but, um, they were yeah wing wing lessons i found they were i had to break down winging into something that made complete sense to me in order for me to be able to teach it and it was actually quite it took a while it took a good season and a half for me to get a good lesson plan going and to figure out everything that was going on so that i could then relay that information and once you do it, it learning actually well learning speeds up quite a bit oh, but absolutely. um
1: it's same with everything, but I think you had some goodies to show us, right? Yeah, just to, just to wrap, wrap up that point, if you guys don't mind, I think the um, I, I agree with you, yours that sending out somebody with just watching a YouTube video on a kite is a terrible oh, yeah. idea. Yeah, and it's not just that yes. they're gonna probably hurt themselves; they can also hurt others around them. So, so that's mm-hmm. a big distinction for me between winging and kiting. I agree with you, yes. Luke, about the um, about the hydrofoil. and get you yeah. know a little bit. Yeah ouchy um but generally speaking less of an issue uh jennifer just a last thought on that uh, on those kites um i that the whole 2010 thing is not just a random year there's definitely a reason that they say that i've been kiting for quite a while and i was a kite instructor before and the safety systems really did become much safer in that 2008 to 2010 range and the reason we, we say 2010 is because before that some companies had reasonable safety systems and some didn't. So if you look at 2010 and, and later, basically everybody had a reasonable safety system. It's not as good as today, but it's at least reasonable. Before that, um, there was an you know, there's some pretty sketchy safety systems. <coughs> so that's kind so of as long as, where that comes. As long from.
0: as your buyer knows that as long as your buyer knows that there, there is a little bit of that when you're selling some equipment, obviously they have to do their own research, but uh, maybe that could be a point that you bring up um, to them. And I think Paul and Andre mentioned that there were some cool wallets from a person who would sew it from bags and other products.
2: So that would be kind of a cool thing to look at. Absolutely. And you're welcome. Yes. We we make grocery bags and uh, and also wind socks out of the ones that are not worth fixing here. So uh, we do try to re that's how we recycle kite material, repurpose.
1: Nice. I've seen some really cool uh, rope bags for climbing made out of uh, kite materials and uh, and stuff like that. It's actually a really good material, so it can be used for all kinds of things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Do we feel like we have time to get into these Alula materials? Because I'd love to hear all about them. But we have been on here <laughs> oh, for an yeah, hour already. Oh yeah, that's true. So yeah. how uh, how are people feeling in the in the audience? We've got a pretty responsive audience today, which is awesome. Uh, what do you guys think? Do you want to go into Alula materials, or do we get yours back for another session and talk about Alula? Then
2: I'm game for either or. So you tell me. Mm.
1: All of a sudden, they're not responsive anymore. Okay.
2: <laughs> I'm, I'd uh, like to I'm, hear about that uh, for sure. Okay. Well, I, I want to talk about it, so. <laughs> well, let's oh, let's go. just do it. Who cares? Okay. Let's just do it. And at
1: worst, we, we cut it and we'll do a little mini segment on the stuff um, as a second podcast or something.
2: So uh, as I said, uh, Comox Kite Repair does work closely with uh, Ocean Rodeo. We're on the same island. Uh, used to windsurf for those guys years ago. Um, Ocean Rodeo developed uh, a new product called Alula that uh, most people have heard about in the kiting and winging industries. It's uh, quite revolutionary. It's way lighter and way stronger than what we were using originally. Um, it got developed because basically the guys at Ocean Rodeo sat down and said, uh, what are the limitations in design at this point? And basically it, uh, it was that we wanted to make things lighter and stiffer, uh, just like our windsurfing years from years ago, uh, Luke. So uh, they developed a new material. It, it was actually Ocean Rodeo that developed
1: it. I didn't realize that. That's pretty interesting.
2: Well, they are—they were smart enough to start their their own standalone company. I mean, Alula is its own brand. Uh, I believe it won the most innovative uh, new product at uh, the Germany Outdoor Expo two years ago, if I'm correct. Uh, again, because uh, lighter and stiffer has uh, you know many more uses than just in our industry, but uh, this is where it started. Totally. And uh, so I've got a little piece of Alula right here. You can see I put a little tear in it here, a little cut. And I also have a piece of Dacron here as well. So this is a standard piece of Dacron. I've just put a little mark here just to show where the the tear is. And this is what we're making our leading edge out of uh, wings and kites at this point. Uh, It's about four ounces. Four ounce Dacron is what we refer to it as. It's kind of the standard. And once you get a, it's very strong on its own. I mean, if I'm pulling this way, it's very strong. But as soon as we get a, a deformation or a problem, it tears Yost, without a whole you, lot of effort.
0: Can you bring your hands up a little bit actually? Yep. Or you're just a little bit low in the camera? No worries. So
2: here's the piece of Dacron. You can see that it tears relatively easily. I'll take a piece of alula. i put a little cut in it. I can't finish the tear. Maybe if I got some pliers on it,
1: and for everybody oh, anyway, that's, uh, that's going to be listening it. to this other podcast, he's kind of turning red here and, you know, looking like <laughs> a gorilla and it's not working. So yeah. definitely looks like it's a lot more resistant than the Dacron.
2: So you can see it's quite deformed now after I've been reefing on it. It's a little bit stretched and stuff, but that tear didn't run all the way. So that's the beauty of the Alula. It's, it's quite a bit stiffer. Um, Alula. So uh, Dacron is 155 grams per square meter. Alula gold is 82 grams per square meter. So basically half of the weight. And uh, I was just talking with uh, the guys at Alula and they say it's only two times stronger than Dacron. But uh, I find that hard to believe because this is much harder to rip than the Dacron.
1: Um, it the depends on how you um, define strength as well. But yeah, that looks like it's a lot more than two times stronger from from what you just did.
2: Well, it's exactly what you say, how you define strength. So the, the biggest misconception when Alula came out, um, Alula got let out of the bag a little earlier than they anticipated. Um, so there was a lot of discussion about it before we actually saw it in the market. Um, and, and the problem with Alula is everybody's like, oh, it's, it's so much stronger. It's so much stronger. It is absolutely so much stronger. It's not more abrasion resistant. So a lot of guys assumed stronger meant that they could abuse their equipment and drag it across rocks or barnacles and that it wouldn't have any effect. Uh, unfortunately, uh, you can slice through it just as easily with the knife as you can back um, The nice thing is once you do get a small imperfection in it, the odds of it becoming a problem are much, much less. And then obviously the bigger factor is that it's lighter and stiffer in the first place. So that, you, I mean, generally a, a kite made out of alula is half of the weight of a traditional made kite. So there's a huge weight savings there. Um, but that's, that's not the when, only material I have for them. Me. Wait, hold on let's just um
1: finish the circle on that so that's yep. the half the weight are you talking about just leading edge and struts or are we talking about leading complete? edge and struts oh, so
2: huge. um alula in the very beginning um it's not like they come up with a concept uh, they make a product and then they put it out you come up with the concept you make a product you test it in-house you realize where you didn't go quite right back to the drawing board they've done this several times with these uh, new materials um this isn't like their the first, uh, you know, go at it. Um, I even saw a kite with a full Alula canopy at one point. I mean, these guys were really playing with their, their, uh, their mixtures and, and, and trying different things. So uh, what we're talking about here is, yeah, the final product that is out on the, on the current wings and kites uh, right now. Um, but I, we did talk earlier about um, Ocean Rodeo wanting to soften up the wingtips a little bit. And so they've now got a, a product called Graphlight, which is basically a black Alula. Um, this product is still being finalized. its uh, I've gotten some sample pieces here, but it may or may not be exactly what ends up on the wings, but uh, I do have a piece here as well. And I actually haven't done anything with this except that earlier today, I put a little slice in it. So I'm eager to see how it tears in comparison to the Dacron. So I'm going to give this one a little tug here too. It might rip right in half. I don't know. I've never done this one before. Nope, never mind. It's strong. Oh, it's, that looks
1: way stronger than the initial Alula even.
2: Yeah. So, uh, this is the, uh, the, the, the black graph light. Um, it's so supposed it, it's to be, it's a little hard
1: to see on, on the video, but it kind of looks like you have a much higher thread count in that black
2: graph light than you do in the, uh, <laughs> in the yeah. regular Alula. So yes, there is a much more coarse weave in the Alula than there is in the graph light. It's, uh, the, the fibers are closer together and they're smaller. Yeah. But this isn't even the stuff that I'm excited about. Uh, what I really want to talk to you guys about that I think is going to change winging is their uh, their new uh, Ares X canopy material that they're slated to come out with for uh, 2023. I have a sample piece here, pull it up nice and close to the camera. And what's really nice about this material is uh, it has the traditional weave is up and down and side to side, and then it's reinforcing fibers on the 45. And that's going to make a big difference on your canopy bagging out or not. So as I said, um, this material is called uh, Ares x or AX38. It's their new canopy material. It's five times stiffer than traditional ripstop, has a longer UV protection, and it should make our, uh, our wings last a lot longer. And the same thing, I'm gonna give it a little attempt to tear. Um, canopy damage is our most common thing. Uh, you put your, uh, your, your, your foil through or something like that. That's what I see most often on wings. And that's usually the end of your day, but if you can fix it with some tape because your tear won't run any further, that's canopy material. I can't rip it. Wow. To give you a comparison, I have a regular piece of ripstop. This is what can't double, um, double ripstop on this one. No effort.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Huge difference there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I'd, I'd put that between somewhere between the original Alula gold and the Alula black somewhere in the middle in terms of how much you're trying to pull on it and how much it tears, I think. Does that seem oh, pretty absolutely. fair? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. No, you're not far off. And it's, it's a, uh, it weighs two thirds of traditional ripstop and the strength increase. I, I wouldn't even be able to put a number on it.
1: Wow. So you're at two thirds of the weight of the traditional canopy. You're at a similar thickness, it seems. I mean, it's hard to say again. We're looking it's at video. It's the video. Okay. And, and we're, wow, that's, that's impressive. And how's the
2: abrasion resistance on that? That's supposed to be better as well. So um, yeah, the abrasion resistance is better. The UV resistance is better. The, the, the amount it stretches is better. Um, again, now these, these products are still somewhat in development, but uh, they are supposed to be coming out with that on their canopy materials and the ocean rodeo wings for next year uh, you know, yep. if, if these materials are going to start to make a wing last two or three times longer, that's, uh, that's something I'm willing to pay for. Yeah. It could yeah, be yeah, like yeah, the totally. old windsurf windsurf sales, right? Like
0: 10 years. Well, obviously that's pushing it a little bit there, but still like if they can last a little bit longer, then definitely a bit of a price increase would not, would not be as bad. No, yeah. I, mean, I, I getting... think
1: that it's, yeah, sorry. Go ahead.
2: So if we're getting something that we're paying for that it's, it's yeah, not the end of the world, but, uh, winging uh you know the the new equipment and the new materials have definitely uh pushed the price point a little bit
1: Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i mean i think as you're saying uh luke for windsurfing you can these days you can get a fairly decent service life out of a sail if you take reasonably good care of it um and if you think about it realistically how much a windsurfing rig costs not just a sail because when you're looking at a a wing yep. it's a full rig and it's the same for kiting really once you add in the bar and the lines and all that kind of stuff you know it's pretty expensive uh and and mm-hmm. the wings have been quite inexpensive so far which is really nice for people getting into the sport and, and stuff like that and it mm-hmm. is a smaller surface area so sure there's less material there yep. but they're actually pretty complicated to build and i think that these uh these new materials are, it's really cool that they're being developed for that, and that's going to bleed back into kite surfing and
2: maybe windsurfing surfing as well, eventually. So that'll benefit
1: those sports as well, but um, yeah, I, an, I can get behind it.
2: It'll be minded. a little bit elite and in the beginning, but uh, you know, hopefully these things trickle down, uh, like even with ocean rodeo, um, they've got uh, in their kite series, they've got their HL series as well as their Alula. A lot of the Alula technology went down to their lower model kites. So an Alula kite is, Uh, half of the weight of a traditional kite, Uh, an HL kite uh, still saves you 25% weight. So it's not quite the same weight savings, but uh, again, uh, some of that technology did filter down to the uh, more affordable options. So eventually it it helps out everybody. uh, Totally. As wing
1: uh, designs, you know, improve. And as we see smaller differences between year to year and in the models, it's going to start making more sense to, you know, invest a little bit more into a wing and say okay cool i've got this wing it's going to work great for the next you know three years or four years or whatever because right now um if a wing lasts more than two years it's so outdated compared to what's coming out um that it's almost not worth it uh, to do that but i can definitely see that becoming more and more interesting as uh, as technology improves
2: well, the winging is still in the Wild West phase here a little bit, right? I mean, uh, I totally. remember uh, windsurfing through the late 80s and the early 90s. Uh, I think you guys are at that point right now. Uh, <laughs> we have no idea what it's going to look like in four or five years from now. No. Totally, and, uh, but Ryan, I think the development is so fast
1: compared to windsurfing, and kitesurfing, because there's so much, uh, so much uh, experience. Sorry. that they're taking from windsurfing and kitesurfing and from other domains and just you know firing all of it at this new sport so it's it's crazy to see what they've done in three years it's it's totally crazy you know we've gone from a concept that kind of made sense and looked really dinky to something that's like a serious high performance sport these days
2: well yeah we had uh, i think we're uh, had more wingers at uh, Comox spit on saturday than kiters at one point so it's uh Definitely growing. Um, oh, yeah, and it's, and it's only cool. going to keep
1: growing. It's so much more user-friendly than both kiting and windsurfing. And for now it's considerably cheaper as well. So
3: yeah,
1: yeah, definitely.
0: Talking, talking materials, Yost, um, Ron asked if there's any info on the end weave by North.
2: So, uh, I'm not particularly familiar with the n weave by North. I have done some repairs on some of the SLS kites and such, um, Ocean Rodeo developed the Alula uh, first. They're the first ones to come out with it. Um, other companies, Duotone has adopted Alula. Um, RRD is now making Alula Wings uh, and a few others as well. Um, but there are other companies out there that are making variations of Alula as well. So it's, uh, you know, it is a patented thing, but uh, you know, as soon as you change the, uh, the formula a little bit, you're, you're not infringing on the patent. So there are other materials out there that are similar to Alula or a similar concepts as well. Uh, I'm wondering if the nweave weave is one of them as well um, and again okay. when we do start to get into these newer materials uh, you know there needs to be some collaboration uh, between uh, designers and such to uh, you know work with the tricks and stuff and and help each other out uh, through the development of all this stuff and so uh, I think there's some sharing going on uh, amongst those guys so that uh, yeah the, for the sure. materials actually get used properly. Yeah, I, I think that we're far from
1: optimizing these new materials, yet there's a lot that can still be done in terms of design to, to really get the most that we can out of it. I think we can get into bladderless uh, eventually with them, which would be really cool.
2: Well, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, uh, we wanted to make things lighter and stiffer the way we were making them before, and now we have these new materials, we're still making the way the before but with the new materials. So uh, yeah, you never know how uh, design changes and stuff can uh, take better advantage of these new uh, new materials. Totally. Um, I did have one more item I'd like to show if that's all right. Uh, Ocean Ooh, Rodeo product yeah. as well. Apologize, sure, for sure. Be a full commercial, but uh, did show off new materials. Um, Ocean Rodeo hey. came up with some new hard handles recently for their wings. Oh, pretty. Um, We've got uh, two of our local riders on them already. Um, What's really cool about these handles are they weigh the same amount as the webbing handles that are originally on the wing. And these are interchangeable with the wing already with the handles that are on there. So uh, if anybody does have an ocean rodeo and they'd like to uh, upgrade to a harder handle, if you can get the handles because availability is obviously an issue, um, but they are out there and they retrofit onto the old wings. Um, I also understand the newer wings will come out with the handles as well. I've also seen one single longer handle as well. That might be an option in the future as well, like a, a full uh, carbon like a fiber boom, boom basically. So oh, so I, that's, I'm, that's I'm going to do cool. a little um,
1: commercial espionage here. If you can show us the connection point a little bit better, I'd be curious in seeing that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> hey, let's see this. <laughs> okay, so it's still, you're still working with the webbing um, connection Touch the stress. on there before. Yeah, yeah okay. at this point. Yeah,
2: so, yeah, yeah uh, cool. You know, um, supply and, uh, has been a real issue for the last few years. Uh, I'm still waiting on foot straps and stuff. Uh, productions are still a problem in uh, in China from uh, COVID. Um, I have a feeling that these handles were a, a concept long ago and uh, due to production are, are finally becoming available so uh, I don't think this is a new idea on their part, uh, just you know. No, we've heard have, talk uh,
1: about this for a while for sure.
2: Yeah, all the companies have been doing the best they can with the uh, the supply uh, that they have available to them.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, with I think from what I've been hearing, China is going in, is still on a super um, COVID witch hunt for now as well. So if there's any COVID mm-hmm. at all, they just lock right back down. So I think we're gonna keep seeing these supply issues for a while, unfortunately. Yeah, I think so too. For somebody who already has sure. Ocean Rodeo wings, um, what did those handles retail for? Do you know?
2: You know, I'm actually waiting for a reply from Ocean Rodeo on that one. Uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry, I don't have an answer for you on that one right now. Okay, no worries. Thanks, anyways. (laughs) No worries. And like I said, they will be coming standard with the new one, so it won't be an add-on option. So there's only gonna be a few people that are gonna be after uh, those types of handles because they'll be standard in the future.
0: And they look fairly small diameters too, right? They weren't very big.
2: Yeah, they're they're quite small actually. Um you know, uh, coming from a windsurfing background, uh, they feel very small compared to a boom or even uh, the handle on my bar for kiting. So, uh what I like about that is I, I think they're going to work well with gloves and things as well. So, uh for people who are snow snow winging or uh, or going out in colder temperatures if you do want to wear a glove, you're you're not uh, changing the diameter up to a point where you're going to have that fatigue in your grip.
0: Mm-hmm. That's one complaint I've had so far with the harder handles is their diameter has been significant and uh, you can feel it relatively quickly, um, on those forearms. Yep. Now, Paul and Andre asked, um, also can wetsuit have liquid seam seal be repaired?
2: Um, so I don't actually work on any wetsuits here. Um, basically because my sewing machines are not able to sew through neoprene and such properly. So our, our repairs are strictly limited to dry suits, but, um, basically, uh, I think, uh, there's a couple different, uh, glues out there that you can touch up those seams with um pardon me i'm just going to grab the glue here sure yeah i believe Aquaseal should do the trick now Aquaseal this is why he's grabbing a- that the liquid seam we we're talking about i guess is
1: on an excel uh wetsuit on the inside i think
0: yeah okay
2: yeah so uh like, yeah. aqua makes several different products for different types of repairs and uh, uh the key to that would be to make sure you have it nice and clean and get it good and dry uh, use the cr- uh, correct product and obviously uh, give it good time to dry afterwards.
0: Okay. That sounds like a good idea.
1: Yeah. Ju- just uh, to get clarification on that Paul and, uh, Andre, the liquid seam that you're talking about, is that the XL liquid seams where you have that kind of, um, uh, rubbery band on the outside of the seam?
3: Yeah, yeah. A lot of companies are doing that external, like Billabong has them, and it's seen And and our gloves, we're finding aren't lasting long. That seam gets compromised. That liquid seam on the outside seems to get compromised. And I I don't know if there's a product. I I know Aquaseal, but I guess that's an appropriate substitute for the factory seals that are 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 failing, right?
2: I think that's going to be your best option.
3: Okay, great. Yeah, I agree.
2: I actually find uh, neoprene gloves uh, really change my diameter on my grip, so I can't handle them myself at all. Uh, I basically use mountain biking gloves now when I'm getting, uh, you know, five and six degrees. Uh, It doesn't add a lot of diameter to the grip, and uh, it still keeps the wind off your hands a little bit.
3: I think the thing we're seeing, too, with winging, climbing on boards a lot, you know, they have knee patches on wetsuits, yep. but the elbows are kind of breaking the neoprene and now your suit's leaking a lot sooner because your elbows have pushed through the uh, where there should be knee patches. Mm-hmm. Is, that just a, is that just a patch repair in a, in a standard way? But I really think if winging's becoming a thing, they should probably have, um, you know, like knee pad types of patches.
2: No, that makes sense. Absolutely, uh, you know those those uh, points that are prone to uh, to damage and stuff uh, should be built up a little bit uh, uh, stronger. I, I know the uh, the ocean rodeo dry suits that we deal with. Um, they had a couple different styles of suits, uh, going from uh, light sport use right up to uh, almost uh, uh, military style. And uh, absolutely, the uh, the layers of uh, over the bum and over the knees uh, on the heavy duty suits is way different than the uh, the economical. Uh, uh, price point suits.
0: Oh, we had lost Tom for a second here. I think Tom's back, but. I think I'm back, yes. Okay, okay. Thanks for sharing all that new material. Um, I I was able to see a little bit of of it um, this summer was on the island. Now, one thing I, I did want to mention or talk about is the fact that that one material you're supposed to roll it right you can't fold it the new stuff that was coming out was it
2: more folding sorry rolling well, them so the, so i read something about the two that's that, that eris x the new canopy material and i'm just going to mm. grab you my sample piece i have here it's, so yeah they're talking about rolling it up uh and possibly changing how we put away our, our equipment and because he's okay. talking about rolling it up and they sent me a sample i thought i'd beat the crap out of it So you can see my sample piece here, lots of wrinkles and crinkles. I mean, uh, I've been treating this terribly.
1: (laughs) Yeah, for for everybody that's listening to this, uh, to this as a podcast, he's basically crumpling it into a little ball, like a tissue, uh, which is basically the worst thing you can do to a rigid material. So I haven't
2: had anything flaking off of it yet. Uh, I'm, I'm okay. doing exactly what I'm not supposed to do with it, which is kind of a fun thing to do. Um, but uh, <laughs> I haven't noticed any degradation yet. And to me, it seems like something I could fold traditionally, but, uh, obviously those guys have done uh, more repetitive testing than I have uh, on, on it. And uh, if that's a recommendation, I'd definitely go with it. Um, I think okay. the Alula too, would probably benefit from rolling versus folding.
1: Have you tried okay. to put any creases in it and see how that reduces strength to tearing?
2: Uh, I haven't done that yet, but uh, I should do like fold it repetitively in the same spot or something and and see if that makes a difference. But uh, yeah, or like fold it with a weight on it or something. I don't think it's going to make much difference. I mean, um, with uh, the fibers going on the different angles and stuff, I mean, uh, that thing can handle uh, tension just about from any direction.
1: Yeah, makes sense. And it's, I guess it's some sort of a mesh of fibers that's got kind of two laminates on the outsides, kind of thing or kind of in an i believe so of?
2: yeah so the, the trick with the uh, the alula and stuff what what sets it apart is we're, we're actually not making a, a new material it's we're using existing materials the, the the trick there is how they're laminating and bonding it together um and, and that is the uh the the, the secret part of, of the alula i mean i'm not aware of it either i don't get to go in their office and see what the chemical compositions are but uh, the, the mm-hmm. trick here is not that the materials are new because they're not they're materials have had around for a long time the trick is how you put them together and how you get them to stay together so that that's what's new with the, the eris x uh, as, as well as the alula material from my understanding
0: yeah that's exciting there's so much cool stuff coming up the pipe um, and stuff that will be uh, it the one thing about winging that i was so stoked about is that we are getting to see or at least i'm getting to see that kind of progression through all of that, like I miss windsurfing, so um, it's kind of it's kind of cool to see this kind of progress like that. And then so much riders have changed, everything's changed, and, and things are going so fast. So that, that's that been one aspect of it that's been super fun.
2: Well, when you own a repair shop and your biggest job is fixing canopies, and then somebody comes out with a non-terrible canopy material, <laughs> I'm not sure what to say.
1: Yeah, you'd be pretty
0: excited
2: about
1: that. <laughs> it's not good it, for me. You know what? You know what I've, but, um... yes the way the only way i've managed to tear my wind so far has been getting washed uh and the foil going through them and i'm pretty sure it would still go through that canopy material well, that's so the thing. you're yeah, still gonna objects
2: will still go through it so
1: yeah
2: for
0: sure yeah be, yeah any anything big enough
2: yeah sharp enough that it'll go through but uh the nice thing is uh you know with the traditional canopy material you get a hole in it like that and you're either done for the day or, or, or you're going to rip it the rest of the way. And the nice thing with this is, uh, you know, you're not going to have to babysit your your tape patches as much, and uh, it should make a big difference for uh, keeping people out on the water. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, does anybody have any questions for Yoast? As we get up to the hour and a half mark. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, if not, no, thank you, every, uh, especially to Yost, but also to all the people that tuned in today. You've been really, really involved and kind of asked lots of questions. And it's been a lot of fun. And I think it's uh, made it a much more interesting podcast because you were so involved. So thanks, guys. And yeah, thank obviously, thanks so much, Yost, for all this cool information and everything that's been really informative and really interesting.
2: Super. And uh, I did have some gift certificates to give away. So um, Ooh, we do full right. repairs here. Um, I can weld bladders. I can replace bladders. I can put on inflate valves. I can sew canopies, major tears and struts, uh, major leading edge repairs. Uh, anything like that uh, we can fix here. So uh, we're a full service kite uh, wing and dry suit repair facility. And I would love to uh, offer my repair service to some people uh, who haven't needed it yet um i'd like to give away our do you want to pick luke or do you want me to do it i'll give you the honors good sir okay uh i'm just looking through here who's signed in throughout the day Oh, let's pick uh jennifer turliuk as a receiver of the gift card there okay i'll let her know Ooh. hopefully she doesn't need it but uh, if she does uh we're here for that. I think she's
1: uh, she's learning and getting into winging, so the chances of her not needing a repair are pretty low. So <laughs> I'm sure she'd be pretty stoked <laughs> on that. I've needed several so
0: far. <laughs> I think I've only fixed yours once, haven't I? Uh, you fixed, yeah. You, well, you fixed this year's Twice. this once, and then um, I had an original strike <laughs> that. I had a little bit of an accident with as well at China Creek. I was walking in and then a, a weird gust came in and flipped the wing over top and it landed on the foil and that was enough to go through it. Um but yeah, only only twice so far, so pretty lucky. Even though the wipeouts have been they've been the craziest wipeouts I've ever had. They're hilarious. But <laughs> they are they're way gnarlier than actually windsurfing catapults can get pretty crazy too. Yep. But um but yeah, these totally. ones these you'll just be flying, and your your foil comes out, and then boom, stopped. And like at sandbanks back in Ontario, you'll you'll be on something that's three four feet, and then you're falling, getting whipped forward, <laughs> falling down. That it's been so you definitely learn quickly how to how to surf and how not to surf. But if people are looking <laughs> to get a hold of you, Yoast, and ask you some questions, and then uh, hire you for work, what's the best way for them to reach out to you?
2: I've got a Facebook page, Comox Kite Repair. Um, that's an easy way to get hold of us there, through there. You can message us through messenger. Uh, my email address is J O O S T at Comox Um, that's a good way to do it as well. Um, I'm much better at the sewing than I am answering the emails and stuff, but I will get to it eventually.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, we can't all
0: be good at everything. No, no, But at least we know the repairs that are
2: coming out will be awesome. So, Yeah. Yeah, no, cool. we, uh, we really look after our, our customers in that regard. Um, any of our fabric repairs comes with a lifetime warranty. Um, that's a real problem in the industry in kiting. Uh, I see it all the time where people are looking for used equipment and I want a kite, but it can't have any repairs. And it really doesn't make any sense because the repair methods that we use to fix your kite are the same methods that they use to build your kite. So, uh, you know, one more uh, row of sewing, if it's done properly, won't uh, have a negative effect on your equipment. And so we uh, try to do very high quality repairs here. Um, Again, all of our repair processes were developed by by Greg and his uh, training as a structural engineer. And uh, for that reason, we offer the lifetime warranty on it. So uh, if you rip your wing in half and I fix it for you and you have to sell it and the next guy is humming and hawing about it, I'm going to honor that uh, repair to to him as well. So uh, that's something a lot of people don't do in this industry. And uh, we've decided to offer that. Uh, it's really easy to offer that type of a warranty on your work when you know you're building it way stronger than it was in the first place. So it's uh, it's an easy thing for me to offer, but it gives people peace of mind uh, when they're either getting their equipment repaired or have to sell it again.
1: That's really cool. Yeah.
2: I I think, um, you know, for, for everybody
1: that's in your area, it's kind of a no brainer to get stuff repaired by you, but even for people that are a little bit further away uh, in Ontario or whatnot, if it's a serious repair.
2: Yeah. um, So, uh, People yeah. send us stuff from Canada Post all the time. Uh, this morning, I went to the mailbox and I picked up a dry suit from Newfoundland. Um, last I week, see. I did some work for a guy up in the Yukon, uh, Alberta, Quebec, Ontario is quite regular. Uh, we've even done work for people in California. Uh, we've done work for search and rescue on dry suits all the way from Winnipeg to, to here. So uh, with Canada Post these days, wow. we've never lost a package yet and uh, it works very well.
0: Yeah, that's Very good cool. to hear, because I don't think everybody would would think of that, but sending something now is, is quick and easy and actually pretty affordable, and at least they know that they're going to get a quality quality repair, and if they're looking at selling their gear afterwards, I think that would be definitely the way to go.
2: Yeah, and it, it definitely makes a difference, so like, if you're dealing with a 3-inch canopy tear, and you've got a guy mm-hmm. locally that has a proper sewing machine that can actually give you a proper patch, absolutely, I mean, go see your local guy. Mm-hmm. Um but if you have something that's near an inflate valve or torn into the strut or something a little bit odd, um, very few repair people. And, and I, the reason I can say this is because I fix a lot of equipment that has been repaired previously. Not that I'm fixing their repairs necessarily, but I always look at other repairs to, to sort of look at the quality and, and how it could have been done better. Or what did they do better that I could do better, which generally doesn't happen very often. Again, uh, nobody has the same training. Um, there are no standards in this industry. It's not like an auto mechanic you've reached a certain level and and done your uh, apprenticeship and written your red seal exam. Like these are uh, generally the guys who are fixing this equipment are people who are self-taught. And I have that really big luxury of having learned from Greg Knowles with, with his training and all of his uh, methods of repair. And and he's been doing this longer than Comox kite repair was around. He he was looking after windsurfing equipment uh, for his university sailing clubs and such uh, back in the late eighties, or early nineties, if my uh, time's correct and uh, so these the, the processes that we use have been around for a long time and and they're proven um, i've got five different sewing machines uh, for different types of sewing that i do here uh, we use a different size thread for a canopy repair versus leading edge repair versus a different size thread if i'm closing your leading edge which requires different size needles there there's a lot of stuff that goes into this if you really want to do it uh, at a high level to do it properly uh, there's a lot of factors to consider I don't want to take away from anybody else, but again, not everybody has the uh, the same background uh, and, and training that I, that I do. So uh, I'm very lucky to be able to mm-hmm. offer these high end repairs, and uh, they definitely do stand out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I've I've worked in repairing, not sales, but uh, composite work and stuff like that, and it's really you know for simple stuff as you're saying there's a lot of people that can kind of make a half decent repair but once you get into something a little bit more involved um there's really a right way to do it and a not right way to do it and it sounds like you're definitely doing it the right way
2: oh yeah absolutely i mean uh, i've lifted struts off of uh, canopies entirely before to be able to do a canopy repair and then put the strut back uh, on and you know if, if you don't have your proper alignment marks to put it in the right place that kite's not going to fly the right way so uh Again, Absolutely. lots of tips and tricks, but uh, I know most of them. And the beautiful thing is, I mean, I've been doing this now for almost four years. So I don't know at all by any means, um, but I, uh, Greg just lives uh, 25 minutes away. And if I have a problem, I'm able to give him a call or an email or send him a photo. And uh, he still helps me through a few of these issues. And uh, with his expertise and, and the experience that I have, uh, we haven't found anything we haven't been able to fix yet.
1: Yeah, I mean, and you offering that lifetime warranty to anybody is proof of that, right? Like, if you had kites coming back, then you wouldn't offer that.
2: So, yeah. Uh, I think in our lifetime warranty, I've had one come back in four years.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's, so to give people um, just a little bit of scope on what that means, when you are buying new gear into your price, you are paying for a 4% uh, warranty repair um, average. So, most companies out will calculate that about 4% of the gear is going to come back. So, if we're talking about one on four years worth of work, and it sounds like you've been pretty busy, I mean, you're at the 0.0000. <laughs> 0. 000. Um, so, yeah, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, no, it's uh, and uh, yeah, we'll fix it right up for that customer, uh, no charge whatsoever, and get it back out there.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, Yost, I want to say thanks a lot for joining. Um, we're gonna wrap up. We're almost
2: hey. <laughs> we're a little bit we're over. Getting,
0: we're we're a little bit over. Thanks everybody for joining. Thanks, Yost. Um, I'm looking forward to chatting again. I would almost I would love to see even a walkthrough of the different sewing machines you have, different needles. That'd be kind of cool to look at that another time. Um, yeah, I've got some tonight, more things
2: to talk about too. So uh and uh definitely could I show some more things as well.
0: No, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Cool. Tom's coming back
2: in. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we're Comox Kite Care and happy to help anybody that we can. Perfect. All right. Thanks, everybody. Enjoy.
0: Thanks for joining Tom and I on this episode. We hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next time.